0: Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 42. And reading for our text, verse 11, the last verse. Psalm 42 and verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Psalm 42 and verse 11. And this evening I want to come straight to three points. Firstly, communion with our own soul. This is what the psalmist is doing here. And then secondly, there are three reasons in this verse. The psalmist gives as to why his hope should be in God. And then lastly, the downcast resolve, hope thou in God. But firstly, communion with our own soul. This comes in several other psalms, as well as this one, where the Lord's people, without having another person to speak to, they are speaking to themselves and going over those things that are happening in their lives. They are posing the questions, they are proposing answers, they are making those resolves, coming to conclusions, and it shows the life of God in the soul when the thoughts are organized thoughts, they're ordered thoughts, and they're to do with the things of the soul. It's something that a uncalled, worldly, ungodly person cannot, will not have that which is going on with their soul and it relates to God and their relationship with God and what has been happening in their lives and the questions and the concerns and the troubles and the burdens. Many times these things happen at night as we lie awake at night and go over things with none other but with ourselves. And then often that will join into prayer and be turned into prayer and with the Lord. But may we know something of what it is to have inward exercise. We read in Hebrews 12 about those that are chastened and every one of God's children are chastened. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. And so that is the exercise is like this communion that is going on in the soul. Many things, many questions. Much of what is going on inwardly is a direct result of what we are passing through. Some of the psalms, they tell us what the psalmist was passing through. Psalm 34 tells us that when David was so fearful for his life with Achish, the Philistines, and this poor man cried, the Lord heard him, delivered him out of all his troubles. We think of the Confessions and breathings of Psalm 51. The psalms in many ways reflect the inward life of God, of the people of God. We have in tied up with this, bound up with this, the question why. Come some six times in this psalm, and then Psalm 43 as well. Many times we might ask, Why? Why is something happening? Why are we feeling as we are? Why is the Lord dealing with us as he is? And in the case here, the psalmist is asking himself why he is cast down. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? What does disquieted mean? It's a lack of lack of calmness. it's an anxiousness, a worry, no peace. uneasy, disquiet. Why aren't they disquieted within me? And so we have these questions. maybe you've come this evening, and we have those questions, and those things that go on, we can't resolve them. We can't answer them. But we have the questions. We might say in the context here, surely the psalmist did have the answers. He says in verse 9, again he's asking, Why hast thou forgotten me? Uh, And why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And the enemy is saying, reproaching daily, where is thy God? You might say, is not that a reason enough to be cast down? Feeling the Lord has forgotten us, the enemy of our soul is oppressing us, and they're saying, where is thy God? Isn't that enough? Wouldn't we look upon that and say, that is why you're cast down. That is why you're disquieted. But often it's not those things that seem most obvious. And sometimes, like the psalmist here, we can't put a finger on it. We can't really realize what it is. You might have gone many months, many days in very much the same trials, but able to bear them, able to be lifted up above them, and then brought down, though, we think, well, why? These are the things outwardly, but why is it at this particular time that I don't feel able to, to cope with it, to bear it, to be lifted up above it? And so though there may seem to be the answers, and we might feel in our life, well, there are answers, there are reasons, and yet there is still the question, why? as to this particular time and in this particular way. Our text reminds us that our feelings are not to be our source of assurance and eternal comfort. Our feelings, they change. But the Lord does not change. And how the psalmist goes from his feelings and goes to the Lord and to God, it directs us there. A true religion is a feeling religion. It, it does have a life of God within. But when we are down, it's not that then we are going to hell, and when we are in, uh, on the mountain top, then we are going to heaven. We read, they that have no changes fear not God. But with the people of God, they do have changes. We can see it with David, we can see it with Elijah, so strong on Mount Carmel, so greatly used by the Lord, fearless in the presence of Ahab, and all the prophets of Baal, and all the children of Israel, and yet suddenly at the word of Jezebel, then he is running away and wishes that he might die. Very easy we can be uh, cast down, very easily discouraged and our feelings do change and maybe it's a timely reminder for us this evening that where is our hope based? Is it just upon our feelings? I know many years ago I I was very shocked to hear a young man, a relative actually, uh, proposed to me and he said, do you think heaven is a real place? He said, isn't it just how you feel as you die? If you have nice feelings, that that's going to heaven. And if you have bad feelings, terror feelings, that's going to hell. And for one ward up in our chapels, I was really shocked and amazed that one could say those, that thing. But it highlights again one's thoughts is going to feelings as if our eternal state was to rest upon them. When we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe the Lord knew, knew, he knew for whom he stood, he knew the sins that he was bearing, but he still has that same question as the psalmist here. And it's for us to really consider that. What was laid upon the Lord? Why did his heavenly Father forsake him? He had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Uh, We think of then the path of the uh, people of God and the need of a, a deeper anchor a more sure word of comfort and a rest upon and our hope in God himself. So firstly then there's the communion and the questioning and going on in the soul, a soul that is not dead but is alive. But secondly, there are three reasons set forth in this text that the psalmist gives why his hope should be in God. The first is his belief that he shall praise him in due time. He says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. In verse 5, which is very, very similar, yet slightly worded differently, we have the reason why he should praise. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. For when the Lord looks upon him, smiles upon him, sees him, he sees sees the countenance of the Lord as being that which lifts him up and is a reason for his praise and a reason for his joy. That is his reason why he can hope in God. He believes the time will come that the Lord will draw back the veil, he will look through this cloud and he will see his smile, he will see the end of the matter, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And I believe the psalmist would have been basing this on other trials that he'd had. We know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And we know also that the Lord has said, This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. In the long view, of course, the Lord's people above brought to be with him at last, to praise him forever and ever. But here below they also have those times that are aiming for the praise of God. When the children of Israel were groaning under their burdens in Egypt, then the Lord was appearing for them even 80 years before they were brought out in raising up Moses, being with him those 40 years in Pharaoh's house and then 40 years in the wilderness watching over the sheep. And then Moses was sent to them. And at first they gave thanks to God. They believed that God had appeared. He was beginning to work. He was uh, coming to deliver them, as he said, from that bondage. They weren't wrong to praise him then. But then when the burdens got greater, when Pharaoh would not let them go and made them serve with great rigour, Then they were so shaped in their minds that even when Moses tried to reassure them and tell them of what the Lord was doing, they would not hear, they could not hear, they could not praise. And even then when they came out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea, the Red Sea in front, the Egyptians behind, the mountains either side, and they felt the Lord had brought them out into the wilderness to destroy them there. But the Lord said to Moses, saying to the children of Israel, that they go forward. And they, the Lord made a way for them right through that sea, the destruction of their enemies and their deliverance. And then they come to the song of Moses and they praised the Lord when they saw their enemies dead upon the seashore. And they knew what it was to walk through those times of great darkness, trial and fear. But in the end of it, there was praise and there was an exulting of what the Lord was doing. And I believe the psalmist here, if Stephen, when just before he was stoned, could rehearse all of the history of the children of Israel, if it could be that Rahab could remember 40 years back to what happened at the Red Sea, then the psalmist also, he remembers what the Lord is and how the Lord deals with his people. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. how Psalm 107 finishes. The many changes, they fell down, there was none to help and then the Lord delivered them, and then they praised. But praise is backward often, isn't it? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. But this is a first reason why he was to hope in God. Christ shall yet praise him, and praise him for the help of his countenance. The second reason is that God is the health of his countenance. This is a difference between verse 5 and verse 11, because in our text we read, I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance, whereas in Psalm 5 it is the praise him for the help of his countenance. For the people of God, the health of their countenance is dependent on their God. You might say with a person naturally, the health of their countenance depends on whether they are well or whether they are ill. Uh, If they've got a disease or an illness then you look at them and you say you're looking poorly today, you're not looking very well. And that is dependent on on natural things. But with the people of God, when the Lord smiles, that affects their countenance. When the Lord frowns, that affects their countenance. They're bound up together. Quite often you'll find that in families as well, or between a, a child and a parent, if the parent is happy with the child, then the child is happy. If the child is doing wrong, and the parent chastens them. The child then is not happy until the parent is smiling upon them again. And the health of the countenance of the people of God is dependent on the Lord. When they have a healthy countenance, it is from We have a most solemn account right at the beginning of the Word of God with the effect of the countenance of the Lord. We read of Cain and of Abel bringing the offering to the Lord. And we read that God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain's countenance fell, and the Lord said to him that if thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? But Cain was upset because the Lord had not accepted his uh, offering. His countenance fell. And rather than change what he was doing, rather than doing that which was pleasing to the Lord, bring a blood offering beautiful type of the coming sufferings and death of our Lord, he slew his brother. And the countenance of the Lord, in a way, was reflected in those he was dealing with. And yet with with Cain, the Lord, in effect, was saying to him, your countenance will be different when you walk in my ways, my countenance towards you will be as you walk in your ways and in my ways. And we find with the children of Israel how often the Lord hid his face from them. How often he dealt with them in chastening. He says, "I will go and return unto my place until they acknowledge their iniquity." And he was making it so they would notice his countenance towards them was not as it was before. And in a way, it's a measure for us, a measure of realizing the way that we are walking, whether it's a right way or a wrong way. How Jabez, in his prayer, prayed that he be kept from evil, that it do not grieve thee. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And where the Lord is grieved, then his countenance is not towards his people as it was. But how, dear David, in Psalm 51, he prays, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he desires again to see the countenance of the Lord towards him. But this is the second reason that he put his hope in God because he views that his countenance is dependent upon God and in one way it's a beautiful token of our union with Christ. If we if he meant nothing to us, if God meant nothing to us, we wouldn't be upset when he hid his face from us. We wouldn't perhaps even notice it. Some of us, we've had parents that when we've done something wrong we only needed to look at them and just the change in their countenance we knew that what we've done has grieved them. And it's a good thing if we're tender in that way. But this, the psalmist says, is one of the reasons why he will hope in God because of this being bound to My joy is thy joy. I am happy when thou art happy. When thy smile is upon me, then my soul is healthy. When thy frown, then then am I sad. The third reason is that God is his God. He says, who is the health of my countenance and my God? I say, how did he know that the Lord was his God? Well, one reason is because of his confession. The children of Israel, they served Baal for many years. And Elijah was sent to bring them back to the true and the living God. And one's confession, who, who is your God, who is it that you will serve? Baal or the true and living God? That was the question on Mount Carmel. So in one sense, the psalmist, he's making this profession that thou art my God, that is why I will hope in thee. The other reason is because of what he had proved. I do think of the illustration of a parent and a child. If a child was asked, how do you know that your parent or these people are your parents? How do you know? And they might say, well, because of the love that they show, because we sleep under their roof, they feed us, they clothe us, they care for us. They do things for us that they don't do to the neighbor's children or to, to those round about. There's a very distinct care over them and it is a realising in that care that we are the people of God. You read a solemn word in, I think it's Paul's epistle to Timothy, that if a man not provide for his own household, then he is worse than an infidel. And... Forbid the thought that God would not provide for his own household. For his own people, he does provide. The Lord will provide. He will help them. He will appear for them. And in that provision, there's this sweet token, there's this blessing that the Lord is our God. You know, dear Jacob, when he had the promise when he was leaving home Thinking it was only going to be for a little while, but lying there with his head upon stones for a pillow. And he he said that if God was to be with him in the way that he went and bring him again to to this land in peace, then the Lord would be his God. And I believe what he was uh, speaking is in this way this will be this true token. Yes, he would had this wonderful vision, the ladder, the angels, uh, the wonderful promise. But what he was looking at was that the Lord would be with him and that it would be a daily realisation of the Lord's care, the Lord's keeping. With the children of Israel we read that he withheld not the manna from their mouths. They always had that manna. So we have these reasons, and may we have reasons for why we hope in God, trust in Him, where our expectation is, in all the promises of God, in all what God says He would do for His people, all the fear nots He gives them, He always gives a reason May we also have those reasons in looking upon what the Lord has done for us. And be able to say, like dear Thomas, as the Lord appears to him, my Lord and my God, and all his doubts and all his fears, they are all gone and all banished. Well, thirdly, let us notice the downcast resolve, that is, hope in God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. There's something here that he is not seeking to do the work of God. He's not saying, well, this is a a remedy that I've just got to make these steps and to think of what the Lord has done and how he's appeared for me in the past. And in doing that, it'll lift me out of this cast-down state and condition. Sometimes we might think, well, this is all that we need to do, we can reason ourselves out of it. But that is not what the psalmist is doing here, and I trust as those of us here know that we, when we are low and cast down, we cannot reason ourselves out of it. However much we might see a long catalogue of all the appearances of the Lord for us, all of his blessings, all of his favours. We don't doubt that he is, his, is our God. We don't doubt that he is the health of our countenance. And we believe that we will yet praise him, but we can't bring ourselves up out of that low pit and out of that downcast position. We read Psalm 40, Psalm of David, really a psalm that beautifully sets forth our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Certainly uh, direct quotes to this psalm from the Hebrews. But we have a psalm beginning, I waited patiently for the Lord. He is hoping in the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And he's ascribing it all to what the Lord is actually doing. This is not him doing it, he's not applying it, he's waiting for the Lord. There are many natural illustrations, maybe there's something we need doing at home, maybe it is something of a electrical uh, thing and, and we, we haven't got the ability or skill to do it, but we have a friend that uh, is able to do it, we call them and we expect them to come over and to do it. And that they will come and they will do it and they will do what we couldn't do ourselves. How often the Lord brings his people into a place where they, as in Psalm 107, fell down, there was none to help. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. More to a place where there's a hoping in God that... He will perform it. The true, the living God. One of the things with the idols, which Israel loved, a man likes with an idol. You can make it say what you want. You can make it do what you want. It it, it is just a puppet, just to do what you can imagine you want it to do. And... It is a servant to, to us. A man likes a God like that, that he can dictate to. But such a God can never help us, never appear for us, never answer our prayers, never, never work the miracles of grace or miracles in providence and appear for us like the true and living God can. We think of what the Lord says in Ezekiel 36, for his people in all of their uh, corruptions, in all of their sins. He says, uh, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away this stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And it's all what the Lord will do, what he will perform. Later on we read, I will yet for this being inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. It is the same spirit as our text that Mary and Martha had when Lazarus was sick and they, they sent to our Lord he whom their lovest is sick. And they left it with love to do what was necessary. They didn't say, do this or do that, come now and, 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 and raise him and heal him. They left it all to love. It didn't turn out what they thought, but the Lord had praise in view, greater praise, greater wonder at the end of that. And it's that committing it unto the Lord with the thought he will perform and he will do it, he will accomplish. So the hope, thou in God, is that God will bring about this change. One of our hymns says, my heart will move at his command. And I believe some of us have proved that when we found our hearts so unmovable, so hard, and yet at His command it it, it moves and and is softened. We can wonder, well, what will cause it to be softened? What will uh, cause it to bow? Years ago, over in Australia, and it's when I had my Dutch friend living with me. And I went through a time. I felt so hard and so rebellious to the Lord, and I could not be softened. I was ironing trousers one day, and the ironing went straw and went straight through the trousers. I was boiling something in the pressure cooker, and it went dry, and it, it bowed the bottom tremendously out of shape. Could have easily exploded, uh, and then cutting something up with a saw and the wood went flying across the room and smashed a painting at the end of the room and each time I got harder and harder I felt like throwing the Bible across the room I felt so angry with the Lord so hard and nothing would soften it and then one day we came back from the Lord's house and my Dutch friend he was so low and he said I can't understand Why I can't go over to New Zealand? Why is my way stopped up? And I suddenly remembered a letter from a godly friend over here before I had that Dutch friend saying, maybe the Lord will raise up a friend for you over in Australia. And I laughed. It was impossible. You don't know the situation. And within two weeks I had my Dutch friend. But I forgot her letter and I forgot the laughing I didn't see it as a blessing I just enjoyed having him his company but when he said that I suddenly remembered the letter and why he couldn't get to New Zealand why his exams didn't work, why his applications because he had to be there to be a friend for me and you know I went and got that letter and I read it to him and the Lord just softened my heart. He just broke all of those snares of those weeks before. And a sense of his goodness and kindness to me and my hardness and that I hadn't given him the praise. I hadn't thanked him for what he'd given. And you know, within a week, the Lord opened the door for him to go to New Zealand. you think I'd be really cast down. But I wasn't, and I was able to say with Job, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I've often noticed this in, in life's journey, that before the Lord takes something away, he makes you very thankful for it. There's many times I've had good health for several months, and I've sometimes been driving in the car, and I thought, I've had good health for a few months. And I felt so thankful and then the next day I've fallen ill. And the world would say, well, that is just bad luck. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have recognized the good health you'd had. But I don't believe in that at all. I always believe that the Lord kindly shows me the blessing before he'll take it away. He made me thankful for it, he made me bless him for it. And then when it is taken away, I've no quarrel with him because he has been good to give it in the first place, and so he may remove it. And it's been a help to me many, many times in that way. And so he's awaiting uh, upon the Lord many such times where I felt so helpless to change my feelings. You know, sometimes I read the book of Jonah, Doest Thou Well to be Angry? And I, I sympathize with dear Jonah, because I can get those times and I can't get out of the state of mind or how I'm feeling. But when the Lord comes, then he does. And he changes the heart, renews the will, turns the feet to Zion's hill, softens the heart in ways that we'd never, never think. Sometimes in not related so to the means at all. Well, the hymn writer says, Judgments nor mercies ne'er can sway the roving heart to wisdom's way. But when the Lord means it so, then, dear Job, he said, He maketh my heart soft. And he knew, he knew who it was that was coming and softening his heart. And if we've groaned under a hard heart, we'll value that softened heart. And so the psalmist hope in God was that this God knew him, was able to move his heart, bring him out of his cast-down state, renew him in spirit, in thought, renew his whole life, put a fresh complexion upon everything. Maybe the outward things still say the same, but our Lord said, In me ye shall have peace, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And the psalmist here, he knew it. Do we know that? Hope thou in God. Do we say that with our soul, as we commune with our own heart? Is this our charge? Hope thou in God. It's not making dictates. We want our God to do this or that or the other but knowing he is able. He can manage our hearts. He knows our case and he'll bring us up out of these dark valleys. I trust I know it myself. I've seen it, dear sister in faith, over in Australia. Just when the Lord withdrew his blessings, his sweet presence, the calm way that she'd wait for his appearing again. She knew that her joys, her blessings, they came and they went at his command. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. Really the whole message when our Lord and Saviour came, the heralding of the birth of Bethlehem was that the Lord, he was on his way. The promise, the child, the seed of the woman, was born. As yet it couldn't be preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. For 30 years or so, dear Mary, she pondered those things in her heart, kept them in her heart, until it was clearly shown what God was to do. But the expectation right from the start The Lord was on his way, he was in control, he was appearing and this is the hope and this is the expectation of the psalmist here and it may be ours as well. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen.